Welcome to episode 29 of the Energy Balance Podcast, where we teach you how to live without constant hunger and fatigue, brain fog, poor sleep, and all sorts of other low energy symptoms by maximizing your cellular energy. I'm Jay Feldman. I'm a health coach and independent health researcher. And joining me again today is my good friend, Mike Fave. Mike and I have been studying health and nutrition together for a long time now, and Mike also draws on his experiences from working within the healthcare industry. Today's episode will be part one of a two-part series talking all about cholesterol. So today in part one, we'll be focusing on the mainstream view that high cholesterol causes heart disease and where this view has gone wrong and why it's not quite that simple. We'll also be talking about why we may want to reconsider the use of statins, the cholesterol-lowering drugs, in the vast majority of cases. We'll be talking about why we don't need to be avoiding high cholesterol foods, even if we have high uh, blood levels of cholesterol. And we'll discuss what actually leads to increases in blood cholesterol levels because it's not eating high cholesterol foods. And then we'll also discuss why the cholesterol-lowering drugs are often more harmful than helpful. And there's a ton of research to dig into when it comes to the cholesterol hypothesis and heart disease and statins and And throughout this series, we will not be able to dig into every single one of these studies, but I will be sure to link to a bunch of the ones that we didn't get to in the show notes. You can find those show notes at jfeldmanwellness.com, where I'll also link to other studies or articles or anything else that we discussed throughout today's episode. And throughout today's episode, we will be talking a little bit about how to lower cholesterol levels and the relationship between cholesterol and our metabolism and stress and gut function. So if you are interested in resolving any of those issues or lowering your cholesterol levels or reducing any other low energy symptoms, whether that is weight gain or constant hunger and fatigue, hormonal imbalances, poor sleep, and other gut symptoms or issues, then head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course where I'll walk you through the main things that you want to focus on to optimize your metabolism. I'll go through some of the main principles as far as nutrition and lifestyle are concerned to do that, which will then allow you to resolve all of these low energy symptoms. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash energy. And with that, let's get started. So cholesterol is basically one of the most misunderstood nutrients and throughout the mainstream conventional medical view is the primary culprit behind heart disease. And because of that, because heart disease is such a widespread problem, it affects 12% of the American population, which is over 30 million people. It's the leading cause of death in the United States, which uh, leads to over 650,000 Americans dying every year from heart disease. So it's no surprise that the statin drugs, which lower cholesterol, are the most prescribed drugs in the United States. And this, you know, we've talked in the past about some of the flaws of the medical system. And this is, I mean, a pretty good example of it, but basically this this cholesterol hypothesis, this idea that the more cholesterol we have in the blood, and we'll discuss this in more detail, but the more cholesterol we have in the blood, the, the more plaque builds up and the more heart disease we get, that cholesterol hypothesis is treated as fact. And because of that, anything that raises cholesterol or anything that has cholesterol in it for example, foods that we eat or foods that we eat that have saturated fats in it that raise cholesterol, those are basically synonymous with being unhealthy. And cholesterol itself is considered to be the bad guy. And 
this is so this is so so much treated as fact that doctors have even suggested putting statins in the water supply because they're just so universally beneficial and cholesterol so universally harmful that uh you know everybody would be better off on on these sorts of drugs so and, and this is pervaded as well into the dietary guidelines as i mentioned where we've been told for decades now i mean you know closer to a century i guess at this point that uh cholesterol and saturated fat that we're eating contribute to heart disease uh through this cholesterol hypothesis so uh yeah and so obviously this is something that is a pretty major influence in in our lives and throughout the medical system and has has quite a few flaws uh that we'll that we'll dig into yeah it's an interesting topic because it even with like numerous studies basically calling into question over the years, within the medical model, it's still recognized or still believed to be the cause of heart disease, and that's cholesterol. Um, and essentially, the all the recommendations are around lowering fat in the diet, lowering cholesterol in the diet, and then taking statin drugs to lower cholesterol, and then they keep adjusting ranges for cholesterol in the blood down, despite what the research says and things like that. and and then what previous diets were prior to all the, the rapid rises in heart disease and things like that. And then, um, and then essentially increasing components in the diet now, like polyunsaturated fats to lower cholesterol and still having heart disease uh, like prevalence or an incidence increase, even though at least in this current century, uh, supposedly the heart disease deaths have or mortality has been going down a bit. Um, and there's could be other reasons for that. Um, so essentially the basic view to dig into it in more detail instead of just having, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say also just how ubiquitous this is. I mean, the, the heart healthy sticker is still all over every whole grain product that's out there and the bottles of canola oil and vegetable oil, they all get that health, heart healthy sign. And this, I mean, yeah, it's, it's pervaded into this idea that the polyunsaturated fats are beneficial and the saturated fats are harmful. And we have talked in detail about why. That's not the case, and we'll talk about it more today, but uh, I'll also link to that episode on the polyunsaturated fats in the show notes for anyone who wants to dive into that a little deeper. Okay. So the, the basic conventional view of cholesterol is that high cholesterol in the blood, or, or even before we get there, what is cholesterol? Um, so cholesterol is, it's a lipid or it's a fatty substance. Uh, it has a specific structure. It's actually the formation or the backbone of all steroid hormones in the body. Um, and it has numerous functions in the body as the structural component, as a precursor to many different things, um, many different components, whether it's steroid hormones, whether it's certain um, a component of certain enzymes or functions in the formation of certain proteins within the cell. It's, it's not just some random fat that sticks to your arteries and causes heart disease. It actually has numerous functions throughout the body. Um, and there's a reason it's found in, in most animal products. And that's because within animal cellular structure, it is, it is legitimately a structural component that, and also an extremely important, um, component of many different functions. So it's not just, it's not because cows just have cholesterol in their, in their meat or chickens are depositing cholesterol in their eggs to give you heart disease. It's there for a very specific reason. Um, and our bodies are filled with cholesterol, um, and they're it's having serving multiple functions that we'll get into more specifically. But the general idea or the general hypothesis 
is that high cholesterol in the blood, particularly LDL, and we'll break get into the differences between LDL and HDL, but particularly LDL causes the deposition or the or the accumulation of what's called plaques, which are basically just fatty accumulations along the vessel walls. Um, and these plaques generally tend to to accumulate mostly around the coronary arteries and the um and like the high pressure areas of the heart, like the aorta and places like that. Um, and they are, there is cholesterol in there and there's a bunch of immune components as well. Um, and there's immune cells filled with, with uh, phagocytized or basically the immune cells that eat in the cholesterol. Um, so then the other component with that is, so now we have this idea that high cholesterol in the blood is causing heart disease. So from there, the question is, well, how do you get high cholesterol in the blood? And so the idea from mainstream medicine is that if you eat um, too much cholesterol in the diet or too much saturated fat in the diet, it gives you high cholesterol. They also talk about sugar and things like that causing high cholesterol. Um, that's not so much in the research, the sugar aspect. That's sort of just like a general societal myth that it's sugar causing high cholesterol and this and that. Was one of the original arguments against eating sugar was that it increases cholesterol, and of course, cholesterol causes heart disease. So, yeah, but currently that's not supported at all, um, and I don't, I don't see doctors, at least the ones that I've worked with, recommending sugar as being cause of cholesterol. Now, it's sugar causes diabetes, um, which is a completely different topic. But and then the other thing is that the general idea is that LDL is bad, HDL is good, um, and the and the reason for that being that, I mean, we'll dig into the details of it, but. That the LDL is carrying cholesterol from, from specifically the liver. from the liver to the peripheral yep. tissues. So when you're seeing this LDL and or cholesterol deposition and in the plaques, it's typically going to be with that LDL protein carrier. So LDL and HDL are carriers of cholesterol. HDL and LDL are proteins because right. the because the cholesterol is lipid. It's not very soluble in in water, and blood or plasma is essentially mostly water um there's some proteins and whatnot in there such as lipoproteins and the lipoproteins basically surround the cholesterol this is your hdl and your ldl and there's a bunch of other little proteins in there and they basically allow it to be transported this is the theory transported from throughout the bloodstream essentially to all different areas mm -hmm. and ldl transports from the liver to the tissues and hdl transports from the tissues back to the liver that's the the offhand easy way to remember it um and so with all these with all these general points that we have high cholesterol causes heart disease and then high cholesterol is caused by eating too much cholesterol eating too much saturated fat or eating too much sugar and then the idea that ldl is bad we get these basic generic prescriptions that almost every doctor is going to give you is that you need to eat a low fat low sugar, low sodium diet that's high in fiber because that binds cholesterol. And then if you have high cholesterol, you need to take a statin so that your body stops producing cholesterol. Um, and then the other thing is you need to eat a lot of polyunsaturated fats rather than the saturated fats because polyunsaturated fats lower uh, cholesterol production. So that, that's, the general, that's the general conventional model, um, which apparently or obviously isn't really working so hot. A lot of studies will tend to look at a Western diet, um, and a lot of people will post, quote these studies that look at a Western diet versus the Mediterranean diet. And then when you look at the Western diet, it's essentially a bunch of refined grains 
and uh, refined vegetable oils or lard. And lard at this point is very high in polyunsaturated fatty acid because of what they feed the animals. And so the, the Western diet obviously does terrible. And then the Mediterranean diet, which is yet it is better than the so-called Western diet actually does um, performs better. And obviously, so why would it not? I mean, you're eating a bunch of granulated sugar and heavily processed grain products like muffins with all different types of components in there and then vegetable oils, refined vegetable oils. You're obviously going to do better eating a diet that at least has some nutrients in it and a lack of toxic compounds. So though that's the general idea. That's the general convention, uh, conventional model that we've been work that's been going on forever and hasn't really made much of a difference in anything. Yeah. Um, you still people who are taking their blood pressure medications and their statins still get heart disease, still get heart attacks, still get strokes. The mortality on some on between these and people who aren't isn't much better. And then there's a lot of uh, side effects, and we'll get into those from lowering cholesterol and a lot of negative effects from having the cholesterol even without a statin being very low. So it's important to. The real question we'll get into is why is the cholesterol elevated in the first place, especially considering it has all these other beneficial functions. And why is it in the plaque? So And why is the cholesterol in the plaque? Yes. Yeah. And, and so basically every point that you brought up from that conventional view, the idea that the cholesterol causes the plaque, the idea that uh, you know dietary cholesterol raises cholesterol, the idea that LDL is just bad and HDL is good. Essentially, there are problems, and and just the idea that cholesterol causes heart disease as a whole. There are problems along each of these points, and uh, well, I guess we we you know let's dig into those a little bit. What those problems are, pull up some of the research, and then also kind of explain this opposite view, which is that rather than cholesterol being the problem, it's a very it's a protective necessary nutrient that is vital to optimal function and health, and it's much more similar to blaming the symptom for the problem. So a lot of times with cholesterol and the plaque, the a very generalized analogy is, is they'll say it's like blaming firemen for a fire where yes, the plaque is, is the fire and that's, that's a problem, but the cholesterol is more there as a, an immune component that's cleaning things up and, and it the, is not the problem itself. And we'll dig into that too. But so let's, I mean, let's start by just digging into this idea that cholesterol causes heart disease. So one of the largest studies that's ever been done on this is the Framingham Heart Study. And so I'm going to pull up a, a graph here that is showing uh, it's showing the it's showing people with and without heart disease versus their cholesterol levels. And so if you can see this graph, it's quite clear. It's quite clear that the for the like for the vast majority of people, there's there's a huge overlap between the cholesterol levels of people who have heart disease and people who don't. And more or less, their cholesterol levels are virtually identical. So this whole idea that cholesterol causes heart disease, obviously what you would expect to see on this graph is that, you know, on one hand, you have the vast majority of people without heart disease and their cholesterol is all pretty low. It's, you know, between 140 and 200. And on the right side, you would see this, you know, the dotted line here of people with uh, heart disease and their cholesterol would all be, you know, 200 of 400. But in reality, that's not at all what you're seeing. What instead you're seeing is basically that these graphs are almost identical. The heart disease one is shifted over maybe 10 points. And 
what it also shows is that uh, where what the study has shown when they've analyzed some of the data is that at least half of or around half of the people who have heart attacks don't have high cholesterol at all. And I mean, this on its own directly flies in the face of this idea that the cholesterol is directly causing heart disease. And as we'll talk about, this does mean that having high cholesterol is necessarily a good thing. It depends a lot on the context and we'll discuss some of that context, but that's, it's just a really important piece of evidence to consider as far as this idea that cholesterol just directly causes heart disease. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great graph to look at because one of the things they see is a lot people who are having heart attacks and there's studies of this, a lot of them don't actually don't even have high cholesterol, even when they're having a heart attack. Right, and then there's right. people who are having heart attacks. There's a decent amount of people who have heart attacks who don't actually show any sort of signs of plaque accumulation in the heart anyway. Mm. They don't. So it's the hypothesis has a lot of areas in it where it's not um, where like there's it doesn't like work out where it doesn't it, it's not a black and white factual like taken as much of a fact as people display. The other thing to talk about is that for cholesterol to be a factor causing heart disease, why would it have so many other beneficial functions? Like being the precursor to all steroid hormones. This includes testosterone, which is vital for male function and dihydrotestosterone, vital for male function, progesterone, vital for female function and pregnancy, cortisol, an adaptive hormone, aldosterone, adaptive hormone, estrogen, the major hormones, uh, dehydroepiandrosterone, which is DHEA, and then pregnenolone. So it's a precursor to all those. It functions in the, in the production of um, different components of the electron transport chain, like CoQ10. Um, it has uh, some components in the production of heme molecules or some function in the production of heme molecules. It's elevated in times of infection as a protection molecule. Um, it binds endotoxin and different bacterial toxins and different viral proteins directly and allows them to be uh, carried out of the body and detoxified. Um, and then so it has a, a strong immune com system component and then it has a structural component within cells. So to look at it and say, oh, so we just have this one random component cholesterol that's causing heart disease, yet it has all these other protective functions doesn't really make a lot of sense especially when they, there's studies basically showing that lower cholesterol in older age, it predicts higher levels of cancer and higher levels of death from infection and things like that. And then when you look at people using drugs like statins, they actually get tons of dysfunction, particularly in the musculature, which includes the heart mm -hmm. because of the damage to the mitochondria. So it's important to look at the whole picture of what cholesterol is for instead of, and, and the thing is the, the, the initial study that everybody is, beaten to death at this point is the seven country study from Ansel Keys, which shows the countries that ate the most amount of saturated fat and cholesterol, the most amount of heart disease. There's tons and tons of work basically looking at it and being like that the, the coral, first of all, let's put it out there. It's a correlation study. Second of all, the study came out after world war II when a lot of Europe's <laughs> Europe's and Japan's and some of the countries they looked at were completely decimated from the war. So what they were traditionally eating couldn't be really accounted for. And so there's tons and tons of, um, we're, we won't go over all of that here, but there's tons and tons of information on that. Um, there's also t the 22 countries originally, they had yeah. data for 22, he only included seven in his- The seven that proved the point. <laughs> right, so it showed a nice correlation between saturated fat intake and uh, heart disease. Yep. And then so the next piece I guess we'll get to, we will get to the HDL, LDL more specifically, 
and then the buildup of cholesterol and plaque. But if you wanted to cover cholesterol in the diet and saturated fat in the diet and then effects on cholesterol in the blood and things like that. Well, there's a couple other things I just want to mention as far as the cholesterol and heart disease situation goes, because there's still, you know, we've mentioned a few things here, but there's a few other things I think are important to consider uh, or to look at as far as evidence goes. So first is that prior to the statins, there were other cholesterol lowering drugs called the fibrates. And so those were used up until around the 1990s. And assuming again, that cholesterol, uh, that lowering cholesterol, you know, would reduce heart disease, you'd expect these cholesterol lowering fibrate drugs to reduce heart disease risk. But uh, here's a quick quote from a review that basically said that a review of trials of cholesterol lowering uh, by diet and drugs published between 1966 and 1996, which included information from more than 21,000 patients. I'm I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Um, yeah. It said overall, these trials indicated no benefit in terms of reduction in risk of coronary deaths. So, there are people who are talking about how statins do reduce, uh, you know, reduce coronary deaths in, in certain instances, and we'll discuss that. But for one, the fibrate drugs did not, and those also lower cholesterol, which suggests that there may be mechanisms other than cholesterol lowering, as far as the statins go, that are responsible for their small. Uh, benefits in heart disease in certain at-risk populations who already have heart disease or for future heart attacks and people who already have heart disease. If I'm not mistaken too, when they changed the rules for releasing of raw data for clinical trials, um, I, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure this was for statins, but they basically weren't able to find any real relationship with protection against heart disease once they pharmaceutical companies were forced to release the raw data and then other people ran the raw da- raw data to find significance. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely, there was a period of time where <laughs> when they were looking at just the studies published by the pharmaceutical companies, they were showing very different results from the independent studies. And uh, there still seems to be some very small evidence that, or there still seems to be some evidence that in people who already have heart disease, statin drugs may lower the risk of future heart attacks, which you can you could i think it's fair to argue that and this is also in in men who are under the age of 70 or 80 depending on the the research so in this very particular population statins may be helpful in preventing heart attacks at a major cost as well which which we've discussed a little bit these side effects of muscle damage and increased diabetes risk which yeah. are at much higher rates than the rates that they're protecting people uh, you know, there's as far as muscle damage risk goes, the rates are as much as one in 10 have uh, some measurable amount of muscle damage and uh, one in 50 have an increased risk of developing diabetes, which is, again, both of those are higher than preventing fatal heart attacks. So, uh, so again, the percent even- damaged or who will suffer those con- 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 consequences side effects will be larger than the amount of people who would be protected against the heart attack. But the question is, is even if they're protected against a future heart attack, are they protected overall for mortality going forward? Right. And that's a, right. And that's a separate question as well, where, um, even if they do potentially protect against heart attacks, they do increase the risk for, uh, or research has suggested that they increase the risk for things like cancer. And as I mentioned, diabetes as well. And neurodegenerative issues infection dementia is another another major one which is part of the the issue as well where when they look at older populations oftentimes lower cholesterol is much more dangerous and increases the risk of mortality overall 
increases the risk of death from from heart disease and heart attacks. So, uh, yeah, and, and dement, you know, increases the risk of dementia, all of those things. So, and as you were talking about, it's because of how important cholesterol is as as one of the main nutrients. And another thing to consider as well is that the statin drugs don't just reduce cholesterol uh, production. They reduce, there's kind of, you know, this whole process of cholesterol production and they reduce or block that process pretty high up in the chain. So it also ends up uh, blocking CoQ10 production. uh, And vitamin K. Yeah, exactly. And vitamin K2, the MK4 form, which those are, this is part of the reason for the muscle damage is that these are so important for mitochondrial function and I mean, it could could also argue that this is part of the reason for the neurodegenerative issues, although that that's cholesterol too. So I'll explain that in a second. But uh, yeah, I mean, you we can call them side effects, but they're not side effects; they're direct effects of these drugs that yeah. are contributing to these problems. And another thing that we didn't touch on as much is that is as, as far as the reason for why this affects brain health so much is that twenty five percent of of our total cholesterol in our bodies is in our brains. And that's because of how important cholesterol is for as a structural component there and mm-hmm. for brain steroid production, um, which are which is just such a huge part of, of brain health. So without this You need cholesterol to form the myelin sheath mm-hmm. of nerves. Exactly. Which yeah. is a huge component of your brain, because your brain is all or mostly neurons. So without cholesterol, you you literally are losing structural components of your nervous system. So to yeah. then go and lower it, especially in populations that are already in higher risks for a lot of these things, the elderly population, particularly for dementia and diabetes and and muscular disorders and things like that and infection. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and these are things that aren't considered. I mean, these statin drugs are handed out like candy to anybody who has even a moderately increased cholesterol level and also which for we the best, will get to as well. Yeah, which, yeah, I mean, there's way better ways to lower cholesterol if it's even a concern, but as we're talking about, and as I, as I mentioned too, low cholesterol, especially in the elderly population or as age increases, is a huge risk factor for all sorts of problems. Yeah. The other, what what would be, what you should probably pull up at this point is for the idea of what low cholesterol is. So if you mm-hmm. want to pull up that graph that shows the range of lowest mortality yeah. um, per amount of cholesterol or milligrams of cholesterol, total cholesterol in the blood. Yeah, so this study is looking at Total cholesterol levels versus mortality from, uh, and it's data from 164 countries. And so it's a a little bit messy, but uh, I'll link to it in the show notes so you can take a look for yourself. But this blue line is the line for all-cause mortality. And this dotted red line down here is for cardiovascular disease mortality. So you can see that the lowest, the levels, the lowest all-cause mortality is for people who have cholesterol levels between 200 and 240. Mm Mm-hmm. And the statin cutoffs, if I'm not mistaken, are to be below 200. For most most of the time, yeah, that's that's when they're starting to prescribe statins is once you hit that 200 level. And it, it depends on the doctor. But I mean, that's considered borderline high cholesterol. But even at that point, they start often prescribing statins, which is, which is just at the low end of the lowest all-cause mortality. So what this graph is basically showing is that to have the best chance of living the longest and not dying, you want your cholesterol between 200 and 240. And there are some... Other factors here, and age is one of them as well, where as you age, having that higher cholesterol has been shown to be protective. And when you're younger, it it depends on a lot of factors. So the whole question becomes, why is the cholesterol elevated? That's the the most important question to ask here, because 
the, the cholesterol being elevated is indicating a problem going on. And it's not necessarily that the cholesterol is high. The cholesterol being high is a symptom or a marker of that problem. So just treating the marker makes absolutely zero sense. Mm-hmm. It's like every, t- and it, you can use the fireman analogy. Every time there's a fire, there's a lot of firemen around. And it's annoying because the fire trucks and all the firemen clog up the road. So next time there's a fire, we need, or we should just get rid of the firemen. Like we need to lower the amount of firemen so that the road isn't clogged. And that's sort of the, it's looking purely at a marker. It's yeah. looking purely at an indicator. So if you're using firemen as the indicator for a fire and then you're saying, oh, there's too much firemen is clogging up the road, then okay, we need to lower the firemen. But it's, it's, just, I mean, it's sim- even worse than that. It's saying that firemen are always there when there's fire, so they must be causing the fire. So we just need to take out the firemen so there's less fi- there's fewer fires. That's yeah. that's really what the comparison is. So it's just it's not like it's a very simple like you can there's all these pathways and whatnot that that they like to get into and try to try and justify the piece, but the underlying logical progression or ideology behind it is very simplistic and not really reality. The the question again is why is the cholesterol elevated? And there's a few things that can cause the elevation of cholesterol. And one of the most important ones, or I guess two of the most important ones would be infection. And then the second one would be lower thyroid function and lower thyroid function can be from numerous different things. Um, And so basically what happens is, as we were talking about before, you have LDL and HDL. LDL is from the liver to the tissues and HDL is from the tissues back to the liver. And thyroid function basically increases the amount of cholesterol that the tissues are able to take up and then in turn turn that cholesterol into steroid hormones or or whatever components that it needs the cholesterol for. And that's via process of thyroid hormone inducing respiratory metabolism, um, which is required for the conversion of cholesterol into steroid hormones. You need to have the you need to have that um, respiratory metabolism going. The enzymes, I think it's P450 enzymes which convert cholesterol into the steroid hormones are present within the mitochondria and dependent upon NAD plus and NADH ratio and energy production and things like that and prevalence of ATP and things like that. So it's really important um, to have- So just to, just to translate that real quick, <laughs> what you're basically saying is that with high thyroid function, our cells end up using more cholesterol and converting them to other components that are helpful and protective, namely the steroid hormones. And with low thyroid function, that process is happening less. So you have a buildup of cholesterol and that leads to elevated total cholesterol, elevated LDL as well. Yep. And the way they talk about in the studies is I'm pretty sure there's the LDL receptor and thyroid upregulates LDL receptor and and basically allows the cholesterol to be moved from the liver or from the LDL carrier protein into the tissues. The next piece we have is infection. And with infection, certain components... Well, specifically through are mediated through cytokines, which are cellular signaling molecules, but specific components like bacterial proteins or bacterial uh, lipopolysaccharides, which is a combination of a lipid and uh, carbohydrate, stimulates cells, specifically immune cells, to produce certain cytokines or signaling molecules, such as um, tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukin 6, that cause the production of cholesterol. In the liver, I think it's from HMGA, HMG-CoA. Is that the enzyme? Yeah, which is yeah. yeah, that's the enzyme that's blocked by 
uh, that's blocked by statins exactly so the endotoxin basically induces this enzyme to produce more cholesterol and the cholesterol binds and this is also either viral proteins and other bacterial components that stimulate the immune system um there's like a sort of a general response with some of these inflammatory um situations and immune responses so it stimulates the the liver to produce a bunch of cholesterol the cholesterol binds these different bacterial components and basically inactivates them it binds them and then inactivates them bring them to the liver and they get detoxified out and it lowers it's actually extremely protective it lowers the immune response the inflammatory cascade that occurs because it prevents certain cells like macrophages from getting an excess of endotoxin and stimulating a, a further negative response and so in situations like sepsis where you have a bacterial infection in the bloodstream the elevated cholesterol and and it also elevates triglycerides and it, um, bile acids and things like that is actually extremely protective and it's shown that in different rat studies removing bile acids from the intestine which allows for absorptions of fats and triglycerides and things like that uh, or blocking cholesterol production actually increases mortality. So the cholesterol is extremely, extremely protective from the, the immune standpoint. Um, so just getting rid of it. And this, I think this is partly the mechanism for why you see increased diabetes with a blocking of cholesterol production, because within diabetes, you generally, you generally tend to see an elevated um, endotoxin level in the bloodstream. And so the cholesterol and the diabetes, you also see the hyperlipidemia. So it's like a chronic low-grade influx of endotoxin from the gut. So when you block this, this endotoxin from coming into the, the, when you block the endotoxin from being bound, bound to cholesterol by lowering cholesterol, you allow more endotoxin to reach the cells. And the endotoxin's effect on the cells is to basically directly lower energy metabolism by stimulating nitric oxide production, if I have that, if that's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not too not too in depth or well so the the I mean I, I want to tag on a little bit as far as the okay, diabetes risk which I think also the CoQ10 and vitamin K2 yeah inhibition is a big part of that uh as well as the pro, the production of the steroid hormones that are uh again are another major yeah. major thing that drives energy production and allows us to adapt to stresses and things like that. So to, yeah, I mean, what you're basically saying as far as the relationship with cholesterol and infections and lipopolysaccharide or endotoxin is that cholesterol is this major part of our immune system. And when we have an infection or we have some sort of problem with our gut, like an infection in our gut, a dysbiosis, or we have pathogenic bacteria in there, they produce metabolic toxins that we absorb and that then are what causes all the symptoms that we experience and is also associated with all sorts of diseases like heart disease and diabetes and on and on. And these toxins directly block our ability to produce energy. They, they, they lead to basically huge amounts of destruction. And so cholesterol is one of the main things that helps to protect us from those metabolic toxins that are produced from infections. And uh, yeah, I think that was, I think that mostly. Yeah. And then so blocking that cholesterol production Right. basically destroys your ability to protect yourself against these toxins. And in right. diabetes, you see an influx of these toxins in the bloodstream chronically. Yeah. That you see it in diabetes, you see it in obesity, you see it in heart disease, you see it in kidney disease. Yeah. And so it's just which system and each each system seems to be some sort of process 
in trying to mitigate the damage from the endotoxin and either into obesity it's depositing there's other factors involved but endotoxin seems to be a, a prime promoter in a lot of these um you see you see endotoxin basically and obesity being depositive with fatty acids and causing immune inflammation in, in the fat tissue and being deposited there um and causing damage in the liver and causing uh like a insulin resistance and things like that and then in diabetes, you see direct insulin resistance from the cells and from the liver. And then in kidney disease, you see it starting to break down the kidneys. And then in heart disease, you start to see it break down the vasculature and things like that. And they all tend to converge on each other eventually, which is why you tend to see people who are very obese have higher rates of diabetes and then heart disease and then kidney disease and things like that. So it's general pathways that go together. Um, and endotoxins, very important in those, and so is cholesterol. And so are other factors like polyunsaturated fats, which is very interesting considering we're told to increase polyunsaturated fats at the expense of saturated fats in these, in these circumstances. And I guess that will lead into talking about the deposition or the specific effects of plaque buildup on the, on the blood, in the bloodstream with heart disease and the importance of cholesterol in that if you wanted to go into all that. I first just want to summarize where we're at so far. So basically rather than the cholesterol that's inside our bodies, rather than that causing heart disease directly, causing plaque buildup, uh, being this this generally harmful and damaging thing that we want as little of as possible, cholesterol is instead a vital nutrient that's necessary for all sorts, all various aspects of our health, including brain health and our immune function, which is why it's so important for preventing things like dementia and why it prevent it protects us from all sorts of you know infections and and other uh, healing and in, in general and, and reducing inflammation and the secondary component that we we're kind of getting at here is that cholesterol is used as a response to damage and inflammation and stress to as a protective mechanism and so in general the the rise in cholesterol that we're seeing is like that we might see would result from these from these other problems and in a defensive way it's not in a way like it so instead of just reducing that cholesterol by using a drug that reduces our ability to produce cholesterol we would want to sort out what's causing the increase in cholesterol in the first place and focus and mitigate on that, that. yeah right, which is kind of what we're about to get to um so the cholesterol is just an indicator of these underlying problems. And so the goal isn't to treat the cholesterol directly. It's to treat the underlying problem and then watch the cholesterol lower itself once the underlying problem is addressed. And in right. a lot of these cases, the underlying problem could be endo elevated endotoxin production from the gut, some low-grade type of infection, things like that. Low metabolism, low thyroid function. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or ex uh, excess... Um, and this goes hand in hand with lower uh, metabolism and things like that, but excess cortisol production because cortisol um, or glucocorticoids or stress hormones, essentially the signal signalers of stress basically cause elevated cholesterol in the blood as well. Um, they increase blood cholesterol, they increase blood lipids like uh, triglycerides, and they also increase blood sugar and they also increase blood pressure. So mm -hmm. there's, and these are very, very general main pathways. Um, you see, and so, the, so far we have lower thyroid function or lowered metabolism, elevated stress, and then infection as some of the three largest causes of the elevated cholesterol, heart disease, and things like that. 
Um, and then specifically towards heart disease. And you can, if you want to cut me off here. And- yeah, I just wanted to add in another thing too, just to summarize this so far, as far as the, the drugs go for lowering cholesterol, is that we have these older drugs, the fibrate drugs, that we know they lower cholesterol and they did not improve heart disease risk or anything. Then we have these statin drugs that have been shown to reduce heart disease risk in a very particular high risk population that already has heart disease, where they reduce the risk of further uh like, like complications, heart attacks and comp- yeah. yeah, but they come at a huge cost elsewhere, and the other and there's also this suge- the suggestion that or evidence that they have other anti-inflammatory effects. So a lot of people are saying, as far as those statin drugs, is that those anti-inflammatory effects are more likely to be responsible for some of their benefits, yeah. and then the actual inhibition of cholesterol production is likely more of secondary. a secondary. Yeah, 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 more secondary, and is where a lot of those side effects are coming from. The other thing with statins, if I'm not mistaken, is they have a degree of uh, antibiotic effect. And this is the same thing that happens with some of the uh, blood sugar medications like metformin. Um, They have an antibiotic effect in the gut. And so those can be also directly lowering endotoxins. So rather than their proposed primary drug mechanism, they can have other primary mechanisms that are having the effect not through the pathways that are supposedly elucidated. And this happens a lot with different drugs. They supposedly right. for this pathway, but it does. It's not only what the indicated pathway or mechanism of action. It it can't be. It has a lot of molecules in, in nature. Just in general, have broad effects across multiple systems, and just affecting one pathway, like HMC uh, HMG uh, CoA, which is CoA the enzyme that yeah. CoA reductase. Yeah, that produces cholesterol. Just by inhibiting that, you affect multiple other pathways downstream because they're dependent upon products from that pathway. So to just say, oh, it just lowers cholesterol through this pathway and that's it. No, that's impossible. You can't just do it that way. Just think about it that way is ridiculous. Honestly, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like if we dam up the river here, well, nothing's going to happen downstream or above stream. It's like, okay. Right, right. And And along with that too is we haven't talked as much about dietary cholesterol and what we should be doing dietarily and we'll get there. But to, I think it's also important to mention that Regardless of how much cholesterol you eat, our bodies produce its own cholesterol between 1,000 and 2,000 milligrams on average, which... A day. Right, per day. And which is just, you know, a suggestion of how vital this is, how important it is. I mean, that's much more than anybody's going to be getting from food on average. I mean, um, just Unless you're eating a keto diet and you're eating a lot of butter and eggs and bacon and organ meats, then you can can elevate your... You can elevate your intake of cholesterol from food, but the general person, the general individual who's following the American Heart Association diet guidelines and whatever their doctor tells them, and they have elevated cholesterol, they're going to be hard-pressed to be taking in an excessive amount of cholesterol from their diet. Most of that is production by liver. And then there's also studies showing the liver will adjust production based on what dietary intake is. So if you're eating a lot, the liver may downregulate production. Right. And this, I mean, even for somebody eating a Western diet, you know, burgers and pizza and ice cream and whatever, they're still not getting anywhere near the amount of cholesterol that's normally produced. And yep. yeah, as you said, however much they eat, that there's kind of a compensation mechanism um, that prevents that amount of production. But it's just, again, in an entirely healthy person, they're always producing this amount of cholesterol. The pure amount of cholesterol has very little to do with any disease risk or anything like that. What we're looking at when we're talking about 
because and I think this is important to, important to point out because it, it just leads to all this confusion. But as far as the cholesterol that's being carried throughout the blood and where it's being carried, and what types of proteins like the LDL versus HDL and the lipoprotein A and all of that, those can be, as we said, helpful markers of inflammation and heart disease and infection and things like that. But just to make it clear, it's not the cholesterol itself that is the problem here. At most, it is just a, again, the fire. I mean, I think a good correlation is the fireman because it is actually very protective and helpful. But it, it just, yeah, I think it's an important clarification to make that even if you want to make the argument that high LDL is a very minor risk factor, um, which I, I don't even think is even worth c- considering all that much. Um, because It's a risk factor indicating that you have other problems going on. Exactly. Yeah. It's and not it's, that, it's that LDL is the problem. Right. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. In part two, we'll be continuing the discussion on cholesterol and we'll be focusing on what causes the buildup of plaque in our arteries and why cholesterol is not the culprit there. We'll be talking about various foods and dietary components and how they relate to cholesterol and our heart health, including why eating a lot of the omega-3s and other polyunsaturated fats found in vegetable oils focusing on whole grains and low-fat diets are not the way to go as far as improving our heart health. We'll also discuss the healthy ways to lower cholesterol levels and the importance of our gut health and our thyroid health when it comes to lowering cholesterol. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a review, a like, a comment, a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does a lot to help support the podcast. To check out the show notes for today's episode, which will include links to various studies that we discussed throughout today's episode, as well as other articles and studies that we referenced. You can check those out at jfeldmanwellness.com slash podcast. And throughout today's episode, we did talk about the relationship between our metabolism and stress and gut health and cholesterol levels. So if you are looking to improve any of those areas of your health or improve various other low energy symptoms, whether those are symptoms related to heart health or maybe other symptoms like weight gain or fatigue or hunger and cravings or hormonal imbalances, or if you're just looking to have more energy, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course where I'll walk you through the main things that you want to focus on to optimize your cellular energy balance. And I'll also explain why this is the key to resolving all of these low energy symptoms, including high cholesterol levels. And so I'll walk you through some of the main things you want to focus on as far as nutrition and lifestyle are concerned to maximize your cellular energy. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy, and I will see you in the next episode.